Section 19 of Mark Twain in the New York Times, Part 1, 1867 to 1879. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain in the New York Times, Part 1, Section 19, December 23, 1876. Forefathers' Day, New Englanders are at dinner. Read by John Greenman. Forefathers' Day, New Englanders at dinner. The annual festival of the New England Society. Speeches by Honorable George William Curtis, Mark Twain, Reverend Edward Everett Hale, Reverend Dr. John Cotton Smith, Reverend Dr. Taylor, and others. Interesting letter from General Sherman. The New England Society's annual dinner at Delmonico's last night was one of the most brilliant celebrations of the kind that has ever been held in this city. The preparations were made with great thoroughness, and the addresses by the respondents to the several toasts were full of earnestness, good feeling, good sense, and good wit. The dining hall was filled with seven tables, the president's table overlooking six others arranged opposite to it at right angles. Above the head of the president was suspended against the wall the banner of the New England Society, flanked by silken national ensigns, and on the opposite side of the hall, before the orchestra balcony, was a national shield also draped with United States flags. The tables were elegantly and tastefully decorated with baskets and set pieces of flowers. Before the president was a design, in flowers, of delicate hues, representing Plymouth Rock, and there were many viands in the feast that recalled, to genuine New Englanders, the plain and hearty fare of the land of steady habits. The guests entered the dining-room just before seven o'clock, and at that hour Rev. Dr. John Cotton Smith, at the invitation of President Borden, said grace. Among those present were Rev. Edward Everett Hale, ex-Governor Edwin D. Morgan, Hon. George William Curtis, Rev. John Cotton Smith, Rev. Richard S. Storrs, Samuel L. Clemens, Mark Twain, Mayor Wickham, Joseph H. Choate, Rev. Dr. William M. Taylor, Hon. Elliot C. Cowden, Hon. Salem H. Wales, Commodore J. W. A. Nicholson, G. B. Loring, Hon. Isaac H. Bailey, Dexter A. Hawkins, Professor Barthold, sculptor of the Colossal Statue of Liberty, District Attorney Benjamin K. Phelps, Professor F. B. Sanborn of Dartmouth College, representative of St. George's, St. Andrew's, and St. Patrick's Societies, Assistant District Attorneys Bell, Russell, and Rollins, Park Goodwin, Clark Bell, Police Commissioners, Wheeler and Erbart, and Professor W. E. Chandler, the whole company numbering more than two hundred. More than two hours were spent at dinner, when, at nine-thirty o'clock, Reverend Mr. Courtney gave thanks. President Borden then rose, and having called the company to order, he announced that General William T. Sherman had written a letter of regret, saying that in the present condition of affairs at Washington he was unable to leave that city, and William M. Everts was also detained in Washington and was unable to attend and that letters of regret had been received from ex-speaker james g blaine governor tilden governor chamberlain of south carolina robert c winthrop and general john c newton hon george william curtis was called upon to respond to the toast of forefathers day 
he was received with prolonged applause and by many of the company rising to their feet with waving handkerchiefs and loud cheers his remarks were frequently interrupted by hearty expressions of approval and his allusion to abraham lincoln as the development of the seed sown here two centuries ago by the coming of the mayflower was followed by vehement applause his suggestions for the conduct of the senate and the house of representatives in the settlement of the political difficulties threatening the nation roused his hearers to the highest pitch of excitement and evoked unanimous and prolonged applause as mr curtis sat down he was greeted with the heartiest cheers which subsided only to be renewed with greater vigor cheers followed the announcement of the sentiment the president of the united states in reply to the city of new york mayor wickham humorously arraigned a large number of city officers for alleged shortcomings charging them with being new englanders and succeeding in finding so many against whom the charges were applicable and indicated them so plainly as to cause unbounded merriment rev edward everett hale in responding to the toast new england culture made an address in which wit and wisdom were happily blended commodore nicholson responded to the toast the army and the navy mark twain provoked a storm of laughter by his rambling talk about new england weather rev john cotton smith commanded the fullest attention of the company by his response to the toast set down for him responses were made by rev dr william m taylor professor sanborn and others the proceedings the proceedings were begun by the president mr william borden who said gentlemen will you give your reverent attention for a moment while i call upon reverend mr courtney to return thanks reverend mr courtney responding to the suggestion of the chairman offered prayer as follows most merciful god and father in whom we live and move and have our being thou who can satisfy the desire of every living thing we render thee our thanks for the satisfaction of our bodily appetites and pray thee that what we shall now hear may be for the satisfaction of the higher appetite of our intellects and our reason for the sake of jesus christ our savior amen speech of mr samuel l clemens the oldest inhabitant the weather who hath lost and doth forget it who hath it still and doth regret it interpose betwixt us twain merchant of venice gentlemen i reverently believe that the maker who made us all makes everything in new england uh, but the weather i don't know who makes that but i think it must be raw apprentices in the weather clerk's factory who experiment and learn how in new england for board and clothes and then are promoted to make weather for countries that require a good article and will take their custom elsewhere if they don't get it laughter there is a sumptuous variety about the new england weather that compels the stranger's admiration and regret 
the weather is always doing something there always attending strictly to business always getting up new designs and trying them on the people to see how they will go laughter but it gets through more business in spring than in any other season in the spring i have counted one hundred and thirty-six different kinds of weather inside of four and twenty hours laughter it was i that made the fame and fortune of that man that had that marvelous collection of weather on exhibition at the centennial that so astounded the foreigners he was going to travel all over the world and get specimens from all the climes i said don't you do it you come to new england on a favorable spring day i told him what we could do in the way of style variety and quantity laughter well he came and he made his collection in four days as to variety why he confessed that he got hundreds of kinds of weather that he had never heard of before and as to quantity well after he had picked out and discarded all that was blemished in any way he not only had weather enough but weather to spare weather to hire out weather to sell to deposit weather to invest weather to give to the poor laughter the people of new england are by nature patient and forbearing but there are some things which they will not stand every year they kill a lot of poets for writing about beautiful spring laughter these are generally casual visitors who bring their notions of spring from somewhere else and cannot of course know how the natives feel about spring and so the first thing they know the opportunity to inquire how they feel has permanently gone by laughter old probabilities has a mighty reputation for accurate prophecy and thoroughly well it deserves it you take up the papers and observe how crisply and confidently he checks off what today's weather is going to be on the pacific down south in the middle states in the wisconsin region see him sail along in joy and pride of his power till he gets to new england and then see his tail drop he doesn't know what the weather is going to be like in new england he can't any more tell than he can tell how many presidents of the united states there's going to be next year applause well he mulls over it and by and by he gets out something about like this probable nor'east to sou'west winds varying to the southern and westerd and eastern and points between high and low barometer swapping around from place to place probable areas of rain snow hail and drought succeeding or preceded by earthquakes with thunder and lightning loud laughter and applause then he jots down this postscript from his wandering mind to cover accidents but it is possible that the program may be wholly changed in the meantime loud laughter 
yes one of the brightest gems in the new england weather is the dazzling uncertainty of it there is only one thing certain about it you are certain there is going to be plenty of weather laughter a perfect grand review but you never can tell which end of the procession is going to move first you fix up for the drought you leave your umbrella in the house and sally out with your sprinkling pot and ten to one you get drowned applause you make up your mind that the earthquake is due you stand from under and take hold of something to steady yourself and the first thing you know you get struck by lightning laughter these are great disappointments but they can't be helped laughter the lightning there is peculiar it is so convincing when it strikes a thing it doesn't leave enough of that thing behind for you to tell whether well you'd think it was something valuable and a congressman had been there loud laughter and applause and the thunder when the thunder commences to merely tune up and scrape and saw and key up the instruments for the performance strangers say why what awful thunder you have here but when the baton is raised and the real concert begins you'll find that stranger down in the cellar with his head in the ash barrel laughter now as to the size of the weather in new england lengthways i mean it is utterly disproportioned to the size of that little country laughter half the time when it is packed as full as it can stick you will see that new england weather sticking out beyond the edges and projecting around hundreds and hundreds of miles over the neighboring states laughter she can't hold a tenth part of her weather you can see cracks all about where she has strained herself trying to do it laughter i could speak volumes about the inhuman perversity of the new england weather but i will give but a single specimen i like to hear rain on a tin roof so i covered part of my roof with tin with an eye to that luxury well sir do you think it ever rains on the tin no sir skips it every time laughter mind in this speech i have been trying merely to do honor to the new england weather no language could do it justice laughter but after all there are at least one or two things about that weather or if you please effects produced by it which we residents would not like to part with applause if we hadn't our bewitching autumn foliage we should still have to credit the weather with one feature which compensates for all its bullying vagaries the ice storm when a leafless tree is clothed with ice from the bottom to the top ice that is as bright and clear as crystal when every bough and twig is strung with ice beads frozen dewdrops and the whole tree sparkles cold and white like the shah of persia's diamond plume applause then the wind waves the branches 
and the sun comes out and turns all those myriads of beads and drops to prisms that glow and burn and flash with all manner of colored fires which change and change again with inconceivable rapidity from blue to red from red to green and green to gold the tree becomes a spraying fountain a very explosion of dazzling jewels and it stands there the acme the climax the supremest possibility in art or nature of bewildering intoxicating intolerable magnificence one cannot make the words too strong long continued applause month after month i lay up my hate and grudge against the new england weather but when the ice-storm comes at last i say there i forgive you now the books are square between us you don't owe me a cent go and sin no more your little faults and foibles count for nothing you are the most enchanting weather in the world the other toasts the other toasts of the evening were the clergy of new england responded to by rev john cotton smith lafayette who gave us himself and liberty and bartholdi who gives us liberty and lafayette no response the agricultural and manufacturing interests of new england dr george b loring and our sister societies responded to by the presidents of the irish scotch and english societies the proceedings terminated shortly after midnight end of section nineteen december twenty third eighteen seventy six forefathers day new englanders at dinner read by john greenman